You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. You have your Bibles, turn with me if you would this morning to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to read a couple of verses um, and then we're going to go through uh, some more of the chapter in our message this morning. I, I want to um, minister from this passage. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Love, I'm reading New King James, has been perfected among us in this. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. Notice there's a lot in that verse, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love, and this morning I want to talk to you about perfect love, perfect love. Um, we, use, we use this verse quite, or uh, verse, we use the word love quite freely in our society. Um, people love chocolate, and people love their coffee, and people love a certain color, and um, people love their dog. People love, uh, they, I mean, there's a lot of things that are spoken of uh, that we love. So uh, we love sunshine, or we love this or that. We love a certain restaurant. We love a certain uh, store. Um, we, we make the word love a pretty common word in our society. Um, people even make it common in relationship. And people will say very easily that they love someone. Um, maybe not fully grasping the commitment of what the word entails. And um, people talk about falling in love and out of love. Actually, there's no such thing as falling in love and out of love. You either grow in love or you don't grow in love. So we use the word quite freely in how we talk about things. And um, I, would, I would have to say probably... Uh, and, different times in, in my own life that I've said that I've loved something. And do you actually love it in the terms that the word means, or is it a statement? Uh, we will even use the statement, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. But even the, the depth of that statement is when we say we love the Lord, that means he's Lord of our lives. We are fully submitted and committed to him 
And so saying I love you, Lord, is more than just a statement of filling in a, a moment of worship as we walk back and forth or kneel or whatever. It's more than just saying words, I love you, Lord. It's much deeper than that. And the Bible gives us, uh, it gives us um, some very powerful scriptures here uh, in 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to back us up to verse 7. I could back us up to the first of the chapter, but uh, the first of the chapter is talking about testing the spirits and trying them. Uh, And then verse 7 kind of goes into a new topic, a new consideration that John is speaking about for the remainder of this chapter. And he says, Beloved, let us love one another For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. The subject is one which John uh, fully understands. The Lord called him the beloved. He understands the, the fullness of what he is writing about. He is being inspired by the Holy Ghost. But his character especially is inclined to the exercise of love. There's been a remarkable affection that Jesus has shown him in just a few short years of him following the Lord that he has been affected by by grace in such a prominent factor that it has constituted something in him that's more than just words or the word love. He, he says this love of God has a depth to it that is far beyond how we use just the simple words of love. All true love, its origins are in God. Real love shows that we have his spirit and that we belong to him. If you don't produce or show that you have the love of God, then I would check the spirit level. And if the spirit level is the way it should be, then the love of God should shine through our hearts and our spirit on a regular basis. Uh, The love of God assimilates us to God. It makes us more and more like Him. And He writes and he says everyone that is that loveth is born of God it's it's a regenerated person it's a a man or a woman that has come in contact with the love of God and it has changed who they used to be to who they are now only by the power of his love that is everyone who has true love as a Christian should have, then should show forth the same love after the fact of being affected by it. So he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. There's a lot that's packed in that verse. But I can't say that I love God and not love you. And what he's saying is, if I say I love God, then love for you should be an automatic result 
of that. Because I can't say that I know God and not have love for you. I can't say I love God and not love people. This is what he's saying. Listen, you and I are beloved this morning, so let us love one another, he says, for love is of God. Verse 8, he says, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. He that loveth not knoweth not God. Notice that he, he doesn't give any examples of that. He doesn't speak about wrath or envy or malice or, and all those things would fit in there. He just says, listen, I don't even want you to get caught up in that. The simple fact is he that loveth not knoweth not God. If I'm not showing forth the love of God, then my relationship with God is in question. That's what he's saying. True acquaintance with God has not just a view of him, but it has the power of his spirit working in my life that it produces out to everyone else that I come in contact with that I have a relationship with God. It's more than just words. I can't say that I love people and not act for people. Can't say that I love you and not be in action proving that love towards you. You cannot pretend that you actually love. This is not something that that you can cover over. It shines through. It shines through, church. It will shine through. There's nothing that's pretending about the love of God. So to be like him, I can't pretend to be like him. It's the love of God that works in my life that makes me to be more like him. I can't just say it in words. I need to let it work on my life. And then John makes this incredible little phrase for God is love, not just merely benevolent. He is benevolence itself. Never was there a more important declaration that was made in such few words. Never has anything been said in just a simple sentence that's so powerful than what John stated in this last little phrase of verse 8. For God is love. The darkness of the world, the sin of the world, the sorrows of the world, the things that are happening in the human race, the wickedness that is all around us, hallelujah, those things will continue. But God is love. Yeah, and in the midst of all that, of all the sadness, of all the things that are happening in the world, all the sin and sorrow that you see, you can still be assured that the statement that John writes is still true. God is love. John's not saying that God is only love. That's just one of his attributes. And John is not saying that love is God. There are people who truly love their family, truly love their kids, truly love their work. True, that doesn't mean that they're a Christian. 
So he's not saying that love is God. He's saying that God is love. And if you have God in your life, it will produce something powerful in your life towards other people. And he just steps back and says, he that loveth not, listen, your relationship with God is in need of repair. He goes on in verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent forth or sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. How did he manifest his love towards us? It was it was a manner that John writes and says, listen, this is this is a proof. The apostles uh, declaring, making a, a statement. This is the proof that God has loved you. He came, robed himself in flesh, and died for you and I that we could live for him. He died that we might have eternal life. The, the merits of his sacrifice, the measure of his life that could be manifested in our life. Yeah. He puts it down as the worth of your soul, the necessity of eternity, the greatness of the gift that he has shown towards you. No matter the sorrow, sin, or sadness in our world, his love supersedes. It covers, the Bible says, a multitude. It's the immortal Joy that he puts within your life that will raise you up in no matter how terrible things are. It's the proof this morning that he loved you so much that before you ever guaranteed him that you would live for him, he still died for you. While you and I were yet a sinner, Christ died for us. So all these things magnify themselves and draw us nearer to understanding what his love entails. Being saved and knowing that you're saved and being able to lay your head down at night knowing that where you would spend eternity if you did not wake up, there's an incredible assurance of the power of that love of God in your life. And to have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And it goes beyond our comprehension. And I'm, I'm, I'm aiming you to, this morning towards a perfect love that's that more than, than just loving a, a certain thing that's in your society. It's understanding a perfect love. And, and so John goes on and he says, herein is love in verse 10. Not that we loved God but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Herein is that love, he says. It's, it's a great gift. It's got the highest expression of love. It was, it was, it was done in, for, for you and for I. It's a, not that we loved God, not that we were in a state that we could make him sacrifice. Or No, it's actually the opposite. Before anything was ever produced in our life, he loved us. Uh, if we had loved and obeyed him, 
it, it might be some reason to believe that he'd be willing to show his love toward us. But that's not what happened. He loved us before we loved him. We were alienated from him. We were separated from him. We were divided from him. And all of that did not stop him from loving us. To be a propitiation, and that's a word that goes back to the, the workings of, uh, in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. It's, a, it's, it's the divine side of what Christ did for us at the cross. His atoning death for our sin takes the position of the human race in its relationship with God and opens up an opportunity for it to be restored. You study the word propitiation and you see how the, the blood uh, uh, of the sacrifice was sprinkled throughout the, the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And, and what, what, what the type is is when Jesus died at Calvary and he, he, he let his life be laid down for you, his precious blood starts to be applied to your life and, and a cleansing takes place and a covering takes place and a, a protection takes place and a hedges about you and and all of a sudden, something powerful starts to happen in your life because you understand that he did it for you. He did it for you, not because you loved him, but because he loved you. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. And John comes right back to how he started this portion. If this is so accurate and this is so powerful, then it should be working in our lives towards each other. Wouldn't it be just great if we could just lay aside all the thoughts that we have of people's failures and, and faults and shortcomings and we could lay that all aside and just look at people through the love that God has showed them in dying for them. Wouldn't it be great just to lay aside all the things that pop into our mind first because that's just the way humanity is and put that all aside and say, God died for that person the same way he died for me. And, and it's a powerful understanding that if God did that for me, he can do it for them. And if he did it for them, he can do it for me. And, 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 and all of a sudden we start, to, we, we start to view people differently. We view them through the blood of the Lamb. Listen, we can sit around and we can highlight each other's faults and failures and there will be no shortage. There will not be. There will never be a shortage of that. But he didn't determine his love towards you based upon how many errors and faults and shortcomings you had. No, he actually based it upon loving you before you would ever love him. And so John says, uh, if God so loved us, then we should love one another. And he goes on to say, no man has seen God at 
any time, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. The idea of not seeing or being seen of man is just a simple state that no mortal eyes have ever seen the Spirit of God. They've seen God manifested in the flesh through Jesus Christ. But no man has seen the Spirit of God. The Bible speaks about that. And the focus is if we love one another, then John's saying there's something that dwells in us. It's not being moved upon by the Spirit. It's not being touched by the Spirit. It's not coming to church and feeling the Spirit. No, it's the aspect of the Spirit actually living inside of you. There's a big difference between being touched by the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. There's a big difference between sensing the Spirit and living by the Spirit. He says, if God's dwelling in you, if God dwells in you, then there is the opportunity for His love to actually be perfected in us. What does that mean? It just means carried out to completion. That God is completing in your life, my life, what he desires to do through our life. The idea is not absolute perfect. No one is there. So no, he's not talking about you and I being perfect. But it's the idea of producing an effect. And the general sense of that is out of your life comes the fruit of the Spirit. And those fruit of the Spirit are all controlled by love. You can read how Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians 13. You can have as many talents as you want. You can talk about all those talents all you want. But if you don't have love, you're just like a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And he speaks all the way through the chapter. And ends it with, but the greatest of these is love. And so all of a sudden we start to understand if the love of God is working in us through his spirit, then it's controlling our lives and it's producing in our lives the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, faith, meekness, temperance. And those things are being produced in our life. Those are not things that you can do on your own. Can't do it on your own. It's only going to be the power of the love of God and His Spirit living in your life. And John goes on in verse 13 and says, Hereby know we that we dwell in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. That's the producing of those fruit. I mean, you can't be full of the Holy Ghost and not be producing the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the signs of the love of God showing through my life. It's not how much 
money you have. It's not what kind of a job you have. It's not where you live. It's not the friends you have. None of those things are proving God's love in your life. What is proving God's love in your life is the power of His Spirit that's working in your life to produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's aiming us towards perfect love. Perfect love. And we have seen and do testify, verse 14, that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We're a testimony of that. That's what John is saying. We're a witness of the truth that this whole thing started with Jesus wanting to restore relationship, relationship with people in Him. And, and we're a witness of that, or we should be a witness of that. Can't sit around the table and talk negatively of your brothers and sisters or the leadership or no matter who. You can't sit around the table and do that and be a testimony of Jesus Christ dying for you in your life. Just doesn't, they don't go together. They don't go together. It's actually the opposite of that. When you sit around and you are an encouragement and you uplift and you're praying for the ones that are struggling and you, you want to be you want to be a hand extended to the person that's having a tough time and all of a sudden what God did, hallelujah, Calvary is being testified through your life and you are being a, a testimony of his power, of his love that's shining through you. Can't say. I have the love of God and not love you. Doesn't work. And so John, John's writing and he says, listen, we're to be a testimony of his, of his work and his, his sacrifice at Calvary. Verse 15, we're getting there. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, Dwelleth in him and he in God. Um, this is the true sense from the heart. This will prove that you and I are a Christian, obviously, is if we're confessing that he's, he is God. And so uh, there's, there's something that happens when you confess that he's God. God dwelleth in, 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 in you because of that confession that you know that he's God. Well, what's that saying? That's not just making a statement that there's some big guy up there sitting on a throne. That's not, that's not what it's talking about. This is talking about whether he's God of your life or not. This goes back to that phrase, I love you, Lord. God, I want you to be the Lord of my life. That, that's, a, that's a big statement. That means I'm submitting everything of me to him, whatever his will is, whatever his love wants, whatever he desires in my life, that's what I want him to do. All kinds of people are making statements like they love the Lord, but are not showing it through their action of submitting to the Lord. They're just words. 
But when you submit everything in your life to him, he senses that the words that you're saying are more than just words. They're coming right from the heart. And that's what John is talking about here. Who confesses? Who is going to confess that Jesus is the Son of God? God dwelleth in him. And he is, or he in God. Something happens when you put him first in your life, and it starts to allow that perfect love of God to be produced in you. He goes on and he says, and we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Uh, John repeats what he has said in verse 8, that God is love. Um, usually when something like that is repeated uh, in Scripture, it has significance uh, that he's trying to emphasize, again, what he has already said, that um, we, we know and believe the love of God, that God is love, but uh, he dwelleth in love, and love dwelleth in God, and God in him. And so he's just emphasizing, again, what has been spoken in verse 8. Herein is our love, verse 17, made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Now, these last two verses, there's something totally different that John goes into in these two verses. The love within us being made perfect Again, it's not talking about us being perfect, but us having perfect love. And I want you to notice why he says this is important. That you can stand boldly before him in the day of judgment. There's no sheepishness there. There's no... You know, coming like a, a scared rat into the presence of God. There's no inferiority. There's no second class. There's no, I'm not good enough. There's none of that. Understanding the power of his love will allow you to walk into the judgment seat realizing who you are in God. Oh, if we ever could find out who we are in God, something would take a different route in our lives. This is not some pity party with God, and he's not, you know, in some trying to make you look bad, and it's not, you know, some bad uh, parent, parent uh, situation where he's trying to hammer you down and discipline you and, that's not what this is about. This is about understanding his perfect love that he died for you while you were yet a sinner. And he gave his life. And when you gave your heart to him, 
He adopted you into his family. He grafted you into the vine. He filled you with his spirit. He called you his own. You are a son and daughter of love. There's a perfect love that he allows to happen in your life that you can. This is not a cockiness. This is not a conceitedness. This is understanding who you are. That you can come into the judgment seat of God. Because you've experienced perfect Love. We've done a misfortune over the years of worrying about. And I understand why. But we talk about people taking advantage of the grace of God. and People wanting a license to sin. We use these phrases. And I understand, I'm not talking about that you should go out of here this morning and you're in charge. It's the opposite of that. If you understand perfect love of God, you understand he's in charge. But because you understand he's in charge, you don't have to crawl through life hoping that you make it. And get by by the skin of your teeth. No, no, no. You get a hold of perfect love. You understand he died for you. And everything he wants for you can be experienced. And you can arise in his presence. Not because of yourself, but because of who dwells inside of you. It's not because of me. My righteousness is as of filthy rags. But when God put his spirit inside of me, I became the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's not about me. It's because of his perfect love in me. And we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. You see what that phrase is saying? It's not what he becomes. or No, it's what he is. What he is already. What he's already been. What he always has been. Because of who he is. That's how we can be in this world. I don't know about you, but I'm asking God for a a fresh revelation, a fresh illumination, a perfect love in my own life. God, let me see it in a powerful way. Let me see it in a powerful dimension, God, that who you are is how I can be right now. Hallelujah. Who you are, God, is how I can be. Not because of me, but because of what dwells in me. The perfect love of God. Okay, I said all that stuff to get to verse 18. There is no fear in love. There is no fear in love. Love is not an affection which produces fear. If fear is being produced, love is not being shown. 
and the love we have for a parent, a child, a friend, there's no fear. When, when you love as a parent or as a brother or sister or as a spouse or whatever, there's no fear in that. If a man had perfect love to God, he would have no fear of anything. There would be no dread of what is happening in our world. And yet there are so many people living in fear. There'd be no fear of death. No fear of the grave. Yet there are so many people who are afraid to die. All kinds of things that are happening in our world. Economics and viruses. It's caused people to, in some cases, go right off the deep end with fear. But perfect love, there is no fear. Because you understand that there's no fear in God. There's a fear of God, which is an awe and a reverence, and that's not displacing that. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 talks about that, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So he's not, he's not talking of us having no awe or reverence of God. That's a separate idea. What he's talking about us is, is not living our lives in fear. It is guilt that makes people fear what is to come. Listen, if you know that your sin has been pardoned, then you've got nothing to be guilty of. So guilt controls people's lives. How is that produced? Not Accepting that God has forgiven you. Do you know how sometimes we parent? We parent this way. I, I was kind of a little bit extreme. My wife always had to bring me back to common sense. So... Something would happen, and I'd say, okay, I'm taking your phone for the month. My wife never, ever corrected me in front of them. Afterwards, she'd say, Brent, a month's a long time to a kid. Maybe it should just be for a week. Yeah, you're right. That actually makes a lot more sense. Okay. I always come back as a big compassionate guy then. No, I'm going to back off from the month, and I'm just going to take it for the week. You know how it is. That's how we do things. Like we're taking iPads, and we're all this. Can I put this in here? Some people are crazy. They stop people from going to church events. Don't do that to your kids. My goodness. If there's anything they need to be at is at church events. That's extra. 
Okay, so we parent this way. But if we're not careful, we bring that into our relationship with God. And you mess up. And you've had a bad week. And you come before God and you think in the terms of not only is he making it right with you, but for the next week he's not going to bless you. No more blessings this week. Not protecting you, not, you know, because we, we bring that mentality in our relationship with God. And so instead of living with perfect love, we live in fear. Looking over our shoulder all week. Because we did something stupid last week. And so uh, we miss the, the exact understanding of perfect love. I'm not condoning sin. I'm not saying it, that's okay. What I'm saying is the love of God is different than what we think. There's something that happens when you get a hold of the real love of God, the perfect love. There is no fear, he said, in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. It goes away beyond how we treat our children, how we love our grandkids. It goes away beyond those types of thinking. Perfect love casteth out fear. We get to an understanding of how he loves us, cares for us. Why does John say it? Because fear, he says, is torment. You torture yourself. Thinking, what if God come? You ever thought that? <coughs> Don't tell me you haven't thought that. You feel convicted in your heart. You did something that you probably shouldn't. You maybe said something, watched something, whatever the case is. Oh, my Lord, I got to get this right. What if the Lord come? You have these thoughts go through your life. And all of a sudden, it produces a fear. And listen, it's not that we should... Pass off conviction. Conviction is of the Holy Ghost. Condemnations of the devil. But perfect love casts out fear. It brings us into a place with him where we realize he's your heavenly father. And he's paid such a price for you that he's not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance that everybody that is his child is an heir with him. A joint heir. You're part of the church of the living God. Getting a grasp of his perfect love. I don't have it fully. I'm looking for it. I'm praying for it. I'm asking for it. God, give me a full illumination, understanding uh, of your perfect love uh, so I can grasp how powerful your love is so that it shines through my life uh, the way you desire it to do. Yeah. He said it casts out fear because fear, fear is a torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. It's not made perfect in love. 
It actually causes people to live anxiously, stressed out, feeling unqualified, not good enough, will never measure up, could never reach what's being preached, could never attain what they're striving for. Listen, those are all, God's not putting that stuff into your thinking. That is produced by fear. See, the word perfect, it means complete, not perfected. But perfect as the result of having been perfected. It's the working of God's work in your life, that love that's working in your life that makes you more and more like him. And as you grow in him and as you become closer to him and as you're learning more about him and as you're uh, allowing him to work more in your life, then all of a sudden it's producing the fruit of the spirit in your life and you're getting to see that perfect love that's working through you. Oh, we're, we're always going to be on this earth a ways from being perfect, no doubt about it. But the perfect love of God, it's already set. And as that works through your life, hallelujah, and you're being controlled by the spirit and not by the flesh then it produces in you music come so what does perfect love mean James 1 and 14 says let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything What perfect love means in my life is that God is continuing to work on me so that I mature and become complete in him. And I'm not lacking anything because his love is in me. We'll not be perfect here on this earth because of sin. But God chose you and I because of his perfect love. And he continues to work in you. And you may be sitting in this this church this morning or watching or listening online. And maybe have felt from time to time not being adequate. Not measuring up. Maybe there's been some decisions that you've made that that haven't been good. Decisions can be, can bring consequences to our lives and consequences can weigh us down and we feel condemned and all kinds of things. I could preach about all that, making right decisions and making proper decisions and making wise choices. And there's, there's a time and a message for that. But what I'm talking about this morning is his perfect love has already been produced. And he's not looking for you to be perfect this morning. He's already perfect. He's just looking for you to let his perfection into you. 
And if you allow his perfection to come into you and to touch your life and to minister to you and rule your life and, and let it be the, the, the guiding fact of your life, then, then something will be produced in you that's, that's a way greater than anything that's ever happened before. So people get caught up in mistakes of the past. And there's sometimes consequences of those. I'm just asking you this morning to lay down all that stuff. Everything that's happened in your life and what, what road you've taken up to this point has has brought challenges or whatever the case is. I'm just asking you to stop trying to figure that stuff all out this morning and find yourself just in His presence because He's perfect. His love is perfect. And I'm not against counseling and I'm not against self-help books and I'm not against all that stuff. I'm thankful for all of that. But let me tell you, none of that, none of that will compare or, or accomplish what His perfect love will do. If you can get a grasp of who you are in Him, who you are in Him, it won't be based upon what other people think or say or have done or There's no fear in perfect love. Perfect love casteth out fear. Yes, you may be vulnerable in his presence, but let me tell you, he won't do anything to hurt you. He's not putting you on probation or taking his blessing away from you for the next seven days. It's not what he's trying to do. He's actually trying to do the opposite. Just allow his perfect love to work in your life this morning. That it would just remove all those hurts and barriers and walls and things that you've built over time just to tear that all down and allow his perfect love to work. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.